This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Stand with me. We're going to read Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. Here's kind of what I, I want to do today. I want to highlight things on the screen while I am um, while I'm I'm uh, reading, so that you can kind of remember when I make the point that it was there in God's Word, uh, and I want you to get used to interacting with Scripture. God's Word is good and holy. Can you say Amen to that? And our whole lives are fed by it, sustained by it, initiated by His Word. And so we have to continue to come to it with this posture of wanting to hear and interact and be good listeners. So this is why we stand. But I'm also going to be highlighting some things on the screen. And uh, I want you to remember those things we highlight as we go and make these points. This is the word of the Lord. Let's remember that as we read. Furthermore, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord! Exclamation point. So that I didn't just yell. I do, I do yell, but when an exclamation point is there, it gives me a good reason to yell. Rejoice in the Lord! It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. It is to safeguard you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those manipulators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of A Hebrew, a Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. That whole section. But whatever were gains to me, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, it's not just a loss, but what is more, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And I consider them garbage. Just know that's a clean way of saying what he said. That I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, that righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want you to know Christ. Yes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and somehow obtaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The church says amen. Amen. 
I want to open up with this line and, and kind of just uh, wrap it into my recent experience, except you'll see it's very, very different. I want you to see that he starts this with, furthermore, my brothers and sisters. It's basically using this language of family. Now, the reason I want you to see this is because Jesus makes us family. Hmm. Jesus makes us family. Uh, there is a, a struggle that we can have with understanding the expanse of what the gospel does. When we think that the gospel's only work, the work of Jesus, is only an individual salvation, getting you out of hell and getting you into heaven, what we have done is we have looked at an element of salvation, if you will, and diminished the fullness of the work of what Christ has done. <laughs> Jesus has done far more than just rescue you from hell. He has adopted you as his children and made you his own and not just adopted you into his family as his own. He has placed his very DNA, his spirit inside of you. He lives in you and not only has he placed himself inside of you your identity is firmly rooted in what he has done and what he has done in you but he has also brought you into a family of people that are his yeah y'all don't understand that the philippian church he's not just calling them family because they had all of these things that were in common to them, for all reasons, they should be enemies. But they are brothers and sisters. This letter from Paul to the Philippian church is a very affectionate letter. He has a deep love for this church. A deep love. And if you heard the story that Pastor Wayne told on the planting of the Philippian church... It was a miracle after miracle after miracle. These people were together as a miracle of God's grace. And now he is gone from them, and now he is in prison. And in these prisons, nobody was taking care of you unless somebody cared enough for you to bring you food and clothing and ways for you to be cared for in prison. And they sent, the Philippian church sent a care package, not just a care package. They traveled, they sent a man to carry with him all of this resource so that he could eat and be cared for while he's in prison. And while he's in prison, he's being talked bad about. Paul is being talked bad about, gossiped about, uh, uh, and, and being, uh, you know, there's all these rumors going on around him. And they send, this one church sends this one, and while he's going, he gets sick. He almost dies. So the one church that really loves him and is caring for him just keeps getting worse. 
but he has this deep love for them. This, this idea of family can change the way you read texts like this. I've heard so many people read Paul's letters not with affection, but with anger. Like Paul's some angry Angry dude who just hates everybody and doesn't have this deep affection towards them. And if you could just see his love for them and him calling them brothers and sisters, it could even change the way you hear a text like this. Church, I, 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 I love going on vacation. It was really fun. And some of you said, man, I saw your... your uh, your pictures, and it seemed like it was amazing and it was beautiful. Some even ex expressed jealousy, which haters are going to hate, you know. <laughs> haters hate. It's all Y'all are haters sometimes, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I'll tell you this. Some of the greatest joys of that is if you could just imagine sometimes my wife and I we go out on dates weekly, and we go away, and we find ourselves talking about our kids. Absence doesn't make you less affectionate about the things that God has given to you. I, I will tell you this. While we were there, we thought of you often, prayed for you often. And, and here's, here's, here's just what I, I want you to hear. It's not because y'all are that great. It's because Jesus has made us family. And I love you guys deeply. When we drove into town, I could, my, my son Kyra said, it's good to be back in my place with my people. I don't care how beautiful a place is. When God gives you a love for a people and a place and he puts in you a passion and makes you into a family, there's no place that can replace that. God has deeply done a work in us, and, 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 and the, the distance and the time, although there is elements of gifts and refreshing, there is opportunity for us to say, man, I am so thankful for all that God has done here. This is a family, but I want you to hear this. The gospel shows us that Jesus makes us family, and it changes the way we, we see one another. So when you hear him passionately saying something to them, I don't want you to hear him saying these things to them with anger, because that's not how he's saying it. Or with force, because that's not how he's saying it. There is a missing of them. He's in prison. He's not on vacation, y'all. He misses them. They are worried about him. Now, I want you to just remember this before we go into this because I want you to see the big picture of the letter before we dive into the, 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 the things that he's saying in this text. This is from the Bible Project. If you didn't get to watch the video, you should go look up Bible Project Philippians online or we can maybe post it on the Facebook page. But I want you to see this. If you could go to this centerpiece of, of Philippians chapter 2 that is right here in the middle, and you won't be able to see this unless you go online and kind of check it out. All of that poem, which it really is a poem, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of talk about that. It's a poem or a song that he writes right in the middle. What, what greater way to show affection and love than write it in a poem form, right? 
He writes this poem that although God existed, although Jesus existed, he didn't, uh, and the nature of God, he didn't regard his equality with God something to be grasped, but that he, he, he humbled himself all the way to the point of death. This poem or this song is the centerpiece by which you understand all the other stories that are written because all of them point to this one. Every illustration points to this one. When he talks about the man who's delivering the food and, and bringing him, and he die, almost is to the point of death in the, in the last chapter, what he's saying is that man was reenacting this story. When he talks about Timothy, he's saying, Timothy is going to come and reenact the story in front of you. When he's now in chapter 3 sharing his own story, he's saying, I am reenacting the true story, the beautiful story of the gospel. Because what you have to see about Paul and these three things you have to understand in order to understand the text is that he saw his life as a reenactment of Jesus' story. And his awareness of God's presence and his awareness of God's uh, uh, power gave him hope and it gave him humility. And knowing Jesus deeply was transformative for him. It was very personal and transformative. So as he's going through all of these things that he's going to share with them, what he's saying to them is, is very, very important, but it's all rooted in and all flowing out of the poetry of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. Here's what I want you to see. Paul sees his life and, let's, and their life, and let's go farther, and your life as a reenactment of the life of Christ. That we don't actually know life unless we see that our lives are so deeply tied to the person of Jesus that we are not only benefiting and seeing the beauty of how he has served us, but that our whole lives are meant to live out and embody and display the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is so beautiful to him that not only does he want to know the benefits of it, but he wants to live the life of it. It's so transformative that every part of himself is given to the knowing of this. So in this place, the, Philipp the Philippian church is sending him care because they're worried about him. Because they care about him. And they send him to tell him, look, man, there's people out there. I know they're talking about you, but we're on your side. And they're worried about him. And you can see Paul taking this position in the writing of this letter. He cares so much about them that he wants them to know what they should really care about more than caring about him. So in this, he uses it as a teaching opportunity. And if things could not get worse... The guy they send gets sick. And here's what he says in the midst of this place. Rejoice in the Lord. Now Paul is going to pound the pulpit on this in chapter 4. Remember, I already said rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. He says rejoice in the Lord. You guys know that? Always. Can you say it with me? Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say 
Rejoice. If he's saying it, rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you didn't hear it the first time, let me preach it one more time. And again I say, rejoice. This kind of reality is foreign for us. It's foreign for us because much of our rejoicing is rooted in our feelings, and our feelings are dictated by our circumstances. We don't understand what he's talking about because we would go, of course, he says, rejoice. He has a great life, except he's in prison. He's living his best life, except he's in prison. He's got all the money he would ever need. I could rejoice too, except he's got nothing. He's got people who he's got to depend on to bring him a basket. And then if they bring him a basket on the way to bring him a basket, the dude bringing him a basket almost dies. Then, while he's in prison, people are talking smack about him. And the thing he wants them to know while, they're, while he is there and while all of this is happening is that the foundation of this reality of that he begins to boast in is that there is something to rejoicing. Philippians is laced with rejoicing. This is difficult for us. Can I, can I be real with you all today? Or I, Actually, I'm going to be real with you all today. I'm not going to ask you. I don't really care, right? I'll just be real. you got to love me anyways. I pastor in this church. I live in the same nation you all live in. I know, this, the, I know that there's many things that we have in common around this, but things have shifted. There is a lost art of rejoicing that has left the church. Primarily, the language of our church is that Christ's life is hard. Let's talk about it. I, I, I've heard multiple times, hey, how you doing? Just everything really hard. Just really hard. Just hard. Everything's hard. Following Jesus is hard. My life is hard. Family hard. Everything's hard. It's just hard. Yes, it's hard. And then we get into a competition of whose life is the hardest. And we all walk away thinking, we won. (laughs) My life is harder than yours. If you really knew the depth of it, (laughs) if you really knew how deep this hardness, these things, it's just so many. If I could just have the things you have, it wouldn't be as hard. And then we're going, if you had what I had, you would understand how hard it is for me. We have grown to have competitions of whose life is the hardest. And in all of it, we think we are proclaiming the gospel, but the reality of the gospel is the Christ life is not hard, it's impossible. <laughs> let's, get, let's get this hard stuff out of our mind. Let, if we really want to go to where the Christ life is, it is impossible when you are operating in your flesh. 
If you want to try to live the Christ life and live into the realities that the gospel has affected and and done deeply into the realities of who Paul is and the proclamation that he's giving to this church in Philippi and the words that he's speaking to them as brothers and sisters, he's not saying everything's easy because his rejoicing is not word, is not rooted in circumstance. It's rooted in the spirit. He talks about this. In chapter 2, and he continues in chapter 4, and right now what he's showing them is if I was operating in this place of my own strength, my own circumstance, the things that I could boast in, I could not teach you about what it means to rejoice. Because this life in Christ, if we're accurately depicting it, it's not just hard, and not only do we talk about hard, I'm just trying, I'm trying really hard. It's hard and I'm trying hard. What are you trying to do? It's impossible to do it in your own strength. You cannot accomplish what this gospel work, what Christ has accomplished. You can't do it in your own strength and in your own striving. But it is amazing to me, church, that in the scarcity Of our rejoicing, we live in one of the most prosperous nations in the world. If we could just zoom out and globally see the realities of when you sit in a room like we've got to the gift of having where there are people who are seeking asylum across nations and coming into a room where they're sleeping in a gym to try to get some rest and this is the first nap they've ever got and they have people giving them a hug and all reasons they could say it's hard but you see some of them rejoicing doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense They're operating in a different position than we even have room in our minds to understand. You go to other countries and you zoom out of this nation that we live in that everybody wants to dream as they're pursuing happiness and nobody ever gets it. We're in the country where we have the freedom to pursue happiness. The problem is it's an empty pursuit that you will never get. We pursue happiness, and in our nation are farther down the road of selfish ambition and happiness, and we are lacking. We are the highest in anxieties and worries and fears and loneliness and pain, and we love to talk about how hard everything is. And I'm not trying to be in any way diminishing of the pain that we're going through in our lives, because I believe all of us go through pains in our lives, but I just want to be real for a minute. We are experiencing comfort that other nations would dream of having. And they're the ones who should be teaching us about rejoicing. You see, until we realize that rejoicing is not rooted in what we have or what we've accomplished, we will not see that in our lack of rejoicing, we are actually wide open to false gospels. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord and 
Watch out. Because if you're not in this position of seeing how much you have been given in Christ and how much you truly have been blessed and all the work that God has accomplished for you, there will be preachers who will come along and preach to you a different gospel. And they are dogs. They want to devour you. And here's what they're going to tell you. They're going to tell you, if you do this, you will get this. And they're going to tell you that Jesus' greatest desire is for you to have all the things you've ever dreamed of. And they're going to tell you, see, you're in a bad place. And it's because you didn't try hard enough. You didn't work hard enough. You didn't give more. You didn't serve more. You didn't do all the things you were supposed to do. And the reality is, no matter how much we hear the sufficiency of the gospel, many of us are operating and being devoured by false gospels. Because we are susceptible because we can't rejoice in the sufficiency of Christ. We're pursuing things that we think will give us happiness. And we're leaving ourselves open to be devoured by those who will tell us. Who dangle a carrot out in front of us and say, hey, if you want this, you can have it. If you do all of this, come and get it. You can work harder, you can try harder, you even preach it to yourself, and you sit there and chase the carrot and never get it and get angry at God because you say, God, I did everything you told me to do, and you still won't give me the carrot. And then the gospel preacher stands up and says, hey, take a bite of this carrot, it's Free. It's been paid for all in Christ. And this carrot not only will feed you, but it will grow in you a whole carrot patch that will never run dry. You will have carrots for a lifetime. As a matter of fact, enough carrots to give away to people who are all around you. You got a carrot patch deep inside. You're just filled. You're all, you don't have to do nothing. I don't have to do nothing. No. Christ has done everything. The work is finished. It's accomplished in Christ. You have all you need in Jesus. And you go, what do you mean I have all I need? I'm in prison. You have all you need. And you just get left open to be devoured because what you really want is not the fullness of who Christ is. What you really want is what they're dangling in front of your face. Huh? They tell you not to go shopping when you're hungry. <laughs> they tell you. That's what they tell you. Don't go shopping when you're hungry. Christians don't go shopping when they're hungry because they're always filled to the fullness of who Christ is, completely satisfied, not in the things that others are striving for, but in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Anyone, anyone who tells you, you are lacking, you have to do more. There's stuff else that you got to do to earn this position in this place, in this favor. Anyone, including yourself, is not preaching what Paul is preaching. 
He's not preaching the fullness of what God has called them into. And he warns them, be careful. Rejoice and beware. Because rejoicing in the Lord leaves room. Rejoicing in the Lord leaves no room for you to boast in your flesh. You get some amen somewhere. We'll get there. And he starts listing all the things because he goes, listen, you need reasons to boast in the flesh? Just, just so you know, I got more than all y'all. I know I'm in prison, but you think, oh, man, maybe. There's a, no, he's going, no, I, I, I've had it all. And he starts, I, I've done all the right actions. I actually was born into the right race. Matter of fact, not just the right race. I was born into the right tribe of the right race. I was born into the elite tribe of the elite group, and I was actually highly educated in that system. I was the highest of education. I had everything. As a matter of fact, that all gave me the status that I could ever have. And then he goes, according to zeal, I did it out of a passion. It was my passion. It was my dream job. I had it all. I had it all. But then he shows that all of that, that that they could be chasing and all of that that they think that can give them rejoicing and all of that that they think can give them happiness is all the things that others are boasting in. Uh, just a quick question that maybe you can meditate on later. As you're talking about how hard things are. Where is your boasting? What are you boasting in? What do you find yourself most boasting about? Because what Paul does here is shows us in his life what the poetry of chapter 2 really looks like when you're living in prison. The poetry of chapter 2 says this, Jesus who... who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Why wouldn't he grasp after equality with his father? Because he already had it. <laughs> it already was his. That's why he says to them, you who are, you already are the circumcision. Why do you have to be circumcised? You who are the righteousness. Why are you trying to earn righteousness? You see, what the enemy tempts us with is what we already have. That's what he says to Adam and Eve in the garden. That's what the serpent says. Hey, you want to be like God? They're already created in the likeness of God. The image and likeness of God and what he dangles in front of you. You see, the enemy cannot... Give you something. So he promises it other places and created things. What he does is show Jesus, who already was equal with God, did not consider that something to be grasped, but humbled himself. Instead of boasting in that, humbled himself all the way to the point of death. Let me just remind you, that when Jesus came on a mission, 
to save and redeem and love his people and redeem his bride, he didn't constantly talk about how difficult it was to be married to these people. And how hard it is that he just has to come and do all the work all the time. I don't even like these people. Can't stand them. I mean, I got married to them. Got married to them. I made a promise. I got to stick to it, but I cannot stand them. No, it was the joy that was set before him. Christ went and endured the cross with deep love and joy and passion and rejoicing because of the work that he got to accomplish. Can I, can I just say, it's not a beautiful marriage when all we can talk about is how hard it is all the time. Jesus didn't model this. What he modeled is showing us how much he loved us and constantly saying he loves us so much that he would come and do this work. God came out of this place of joy set before him and endures the cross. There is nothing that he went to, even the cross itself. He despised the shame of the cross. Why? Because he compared it to the joy of the work he was going to do to redeem those that he loved. So who's, who's, who's reenacting that now? Paul is. Paul is saying all the things I could boast in. I could go after all of these things I mentioned, but I actually, in comparison to the joy of knowing Jesus, when I compare it, it is actually nothing. And he goes, actually, let's go farther than that. It's not just nothing. It is loss. It's, oh, actually, let's go farther. It's garbage, which is a Christian clean cuss word way of, of, of cleaning up something that we would all get disgusted by. He's actually saying it's like a rag from a menstrual cycle that gets thrown out and sits for a long time and nobody wants. They're disgusted by it. If I take all of my list of accomplishments and put them up to Jesus, they cannot even compare. They're not even in the same league. Jesus is better. The gospel is not hate those things, it's compare those things to the true thing. You see, you've been searching in all those places. Paul had all those things. And what he realized was, if I have them or if I don't, it doesn't even matter. I know I'm getting ahead of myself. Philippians, that'll be later. Somebody else is preaching it. If I have it, I have a little, I have a lot, I got this, I got that. I have it all. I can do it all because I have Christ who gives me strength. Church, the gospel reality is Jesus is better. Can you say amen to that? And when you see that Jesus is better, here's what you end up seeing. You end up seeing that knowing Jesus is knowing a couple ways. Knowing all that he has done and the beauty of the gospel. And I just wish we would take his example and that our theology would be rooted more in song than debate. 
I'm going to say it again, church. The church of history sang of the beauty of the gospel, didn't sit around and debate on its authenticity. There's nothing like debating something that removes the beauty of it. Paul puts the beauty of the gospel in song and sings of the work of Christ because in that place he gets to sing and reminisce of the beauty of what Christ has done for him that I may know him and fellowship with him. That I may receive the fullness of the work that Christ has accomplished for me that I may dwell, as, as Philippians 4 says, I may dwell on things that are true and lovely and right and pure. Part of our lack of rejoicing is where we're dwelling. What if we spent more time in fellowship with him dwelling on the beauty of the fullness of the work that Christ has accomplished for us? To be wrapped up over and over again in the mystery and the beauty of Christ's love for you. To see how much Jesus truly loves us. We don't have to search for love in other places. We have fully been loved and completely been loved. And the love of God is far greater. And if we're going to fellowship with him, we're going to have to be a people who dwell on the beauty of his love and the gospel over and over and over and over and over. I don't know if I can broke it over and over. As often as we get together, we got to get around the table. As often as we get together, we got to sing of it. As often as we get together, we need to remind each other of it. Church, you are loved. Stop working for something he has fully given and fully provided. You're loved. Your Father loves you. Jesus is better. But now, as we see the beauty of this love, Paul shows, not only do I want to know this in my mind. Here's, here's where he goes with it. This is beautiful. Not only do I want to know this in my mind, but I want to be conformed to him in the power of his resurrection. Not only do I want to know Jesus, I want to be like Jesus. Where true life begins to hit is where we start to live the Christ life. And when I say the Christ life, I mean this one of humbling ourselves and not boasting in selves. Where we will find true life is when we begin to die to our own selfish ambitions and our lives. Many of us have defined sin by calling it bad things we do that God hates. Paul doesn't mention one of those things that you think would be called bad things. He actually puts a whole list that the things that could separate him from his nearness to Christ are the things he would boast in that many of you are chasing. What if sin is not just bad things you do, but things you love more than Jesus? Things that capture your affections and your boastings. 
things that you chase and you heard that Jesus wanted you to have them and because he's not giving them to you, you find yourself angry at him. What if the things we love and our boastings are the things that are causing us not to live deeply into the realities of who Christ is. That our knowing him is a dwelling on the things that he has done, but it's also going, I want to live that way and I want to live that life because in that is true life. Paul says, my life, I want to know him, but I also want to be like him. I want to, in my life reenact the story of Jesus. That's the point of this book. I went over again. But I'm still going to say this next thing. I think I have a pretty good life. Actually, I'm thankful. married up. My wife's amazing. I look at her often and I'm just overwhelmed that I get to be married to her. I, I look at my kids and I, I realize, man, those kids are way better than my parenting job. They're incredible. They're a gift from God. So thankful. I get to work a job where I actually like it and I get to do things that I never thought I would be able to do. I, I get to be in a church that's not just attending a service, but I actually like you guys. I love you. I love going here. I love being a part of this family. This is not just a service. This is family to me. I'm thankful that I get to be in this community. I make a pretty good living. I, can provide for my family. And there are many of you in this room who could look at something like this and just go, if I had your life, I would be like you too. But if I take all of that, from my wife to my kids to my church to my, if I take all of it and honestly, if I put it up to Jesus, it's trash. It's garbage. Compared to the beauty and the wonder of Jesus, I pray that by God's grace that I remain thankful for the things he's given to me. But if, if, if I lost it all, I pray that I would see the fullness of all that I have in Jesus. Because I'm telling you, none of it, no matter how much of it I have had or have not had, none of it has brought me true rejoicing and life. It's left me empty and wanting and constantly pursuing more, thinking I need another thing. It's left me dry. I continually go before my father 
and ask that I would be able to steward the things that he's given to me, but that I would not worship the things that he's given to me and that I would never allow those things to become him to me. If you look at what I have and you're pursuing it, or if you look at what somebody else has and you're pursuing it, can I just, with the love of a brother in Christ, can I just say, you're chasing garbage. You're chasing garbage. And anybody tells you that it's going to fulfill your life is preaching a false gospel, even if it's you who's telling yourself that. All I have standing on this stage is everything you need. And it's Jesus. It's the gospel. And you will not know life apart from knowing Jesus. You will not know the life that Paul is preaching. You will not know the life that Christ lived. You will not know the joy that's unspeakable. You can't even talk about this kind of joy because nobody has brain power to imagine it. You can't understand a peace because it goes beyond understanding. These kinds of things come from a place that can only be deeply rooted in when you find that all that you have in Christ is everything you would ever need. Church, the only place that you're going to find this is not by having somebody come pray for you, promise you something, and you think you got to do something else to get this revelation. You need to come hungry, thirsty, and in need. That's why we do communion every week. That's why we offer times of prayer. That's why we sing songs of beauty, because I believe in those moments in the lack of preaching where I can just say things over and over again and hope you get it, God takes these things by his spirit and begins to work into you the things that you need to see. You're saying, well, how do I get this preacher? Tell me the things. Come to Jesus. Come to him. Those who are thirsty, those who are hungry, come to him. Come to him. Come and and that you your heart would be that I may know him. That you would lay all those things aside that you're boasting and that you would come. That's why at this time, all we're going to do is open up this prayer room and open up this communion table and ask these guys to sing. And that this room would be pray- filled with people who are seeking you, Jesus. And he's going to speak to you, church. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.